So we're rolling. Cool. We are live. This is your Doing It Wrong with Mark Henderson Leary. And my name is Mark. And I have a passion that you should feel in control of your life. And so what I do is I help you get control of your business. And part of how I do that is by letting you listen in on these conversations between two geeks, two passionate people who have passion for entrepreneurship in some way, talking about a subject you already know something about. But this time we're getting in and geeking out hardcore and hopefully giving you some nuggets that are going to help you unlock your best business, best life, best everything. So I'm excited for a fun conversation. Truly, this, is, this will be a fun conversation to talk about something that most people don't think of as very fun. We want to talk about, well, wealth can be fun. Having money is, is, is having fun. But the financial side of how to create wealth usually ends up being pretty unfun unless you like watching those 30-minute videos about how to get rich quick, which this is not going to be that conversation. This is not for, uh, for those get rich quick. We're going to make some real estate investments over the weekend and be rich by summer. That's not how we're going to do this. Uh, so I'm excited to talk with Caleb Williams, who is um, I mean, this is so cool because he uh, took over the entire investment department of a bank at age 19. And so I think he's, are you 20 now? Are you, can you drink? I, that, that's debatable. Some, some people, if they looked at me, would, would want to debate if I could drive a car. So, um, right, but yes, right. I, I, I am old enough to drink and life is good. And so three years of traveling the country, being mentored by the most successful financial minds, discovered a better way to, to build wealth, uh, founded the company Better Wealth, which would be a logical way to describe that, uh, wrote a book called The And Asset, and And is in all caps, and so, so it's The And Asset, right? So, um, and host of a podcast and, uh, and a YouTube channel, and just a fun guy, man. So, so how are you, Caleb? Man, I'm doing phenomenal. It is an honor to be on this show, and I'm just so grateful to uh, just having an honest one-on-one conversation that's going to be recorded. Uh, I'm an open book man, and I hope this serves your audience incredibly well. So, how do you make this fun? How do you, how do you make? Because you know, so well, go, number one, go. wealth is fun. I mean, I I was just in Mexico at a you know a resort, and I'm telling you, uh, it all depends on the definition of of what wealth is. And it's interesting to me because we've made it kind of this taboo subject. I mean, um, a lot of people don't want to talk about money. It's one of those things that you don't really talk about. But at the end of the day, wealth is more than just money. It's a, it's a sum total of your time, your talents, your, your treasure, your money, your relationships. And what you'll find is wealth really needs to be defined. And one of the, the biggest mistakes people can make, and, and you know we've made it all the time, is we assume we know what money is or wealth is yeah, yeah, by yeah. saying, oh, wealth is this. But at the end of the day, the reason wealth is fun is it's like we have to define it for ourselves. And when you define that, then all of our time and, and talent should be to go get that. So I, I want to talk about the definition, but I'm instantly re- recalling uh, – Tim Ferriss's definitions, or or in that space of like you know, if it's the freedom, yeah. if it's the if it's the ability to live the life you want to live, are you pulling all the levers to get access to that life? Do, do you look at the globe as you know? If do you must you live in a ten million dollar home in a in a major metropolitan area, or would you and live okay and at stretch, or would you rather live like a king in Buenos Aires, which is his, his sort of go to? Like you can live like a king, absolutely. At least you could. I don't right. know what the economics are right now. So what, when you, how do you help somebody define what their wealth looks like? Yeah, so really for us, intentional living is the metric. So the, the first thing that we do is we define what intentional living looks like. And, and my favorite definition of intentional living is living life on your terms. 
it's like, okay, um, intentional living looks like spending time with the people that you love, spending your resources and money on the things that you want to do. Um, and really, one of the words that comes up over and over again is this word fulfillment. What truly fulfills you? What, what, what is your underlying why that makes you want to do what you do? And it's interesting, when I was 19 years old and had the opportunity to take over the bank's investment department, I'm meeting with people, and they've spent their entire life working at a job or working as, you know, in their career, and they want to retire, and no one has ever asked them what they really want. And like, I'm getting yeah. emotional right now because that, like, that, that makes me so angry because they have spent their entire life chasing something that's not going to translate into a fraction of what they think to be true. And, and they've never been asked what they want out of life. And, and so I, I, hate, I know that we're going to get into some really fun tactics, and there's some really great things from taxes to other investment strategies to utilizing life insurance, and there's some really fun things. <laughs> yeah. But at the end of the day, if you don't know where you want to go, Literally any road will get you there. You know what? It's so crazy. I've been doing this podcast for two two years, and and I, I think it was six months ago. I was I'd done several podcasts in a row, and I thought every every one of these damn interviews is talking about purpose. Like I'm stuck. Like apparently I'm interviewing the same people, and and, and I'm and I and after a while I I was like we got to talk about something different, and and I can't. It's yeah. everything. This this podcast was supposed to be at entrepreneurial wealth, and you're like, take me right to purpose. And I'm like, it's inescapable. Everything we're doing right now, I'm doing it with my leadership teams and my clients and my listeners. And it doesn't matter what tactical door we go in, it ends with purpose. Why the hell does this matter? So because cool. it's the ultimate compass. It's the yeah. ultimate compass. Because at the end of the day, Wall Street will tell you that ROR stands for rate of return, and literally, Mark. People dedicate their entire life, their investment portfolio, and their thesis on chasing something called rate of return, and inside, they don't actually know how that translates into results. So for our company, we just take the ROR and say, instead of rate of return, we're going to call this return on result, which sounds shocking, but you tell me what you want, and then we as a wealth team are going to help you accomplish that, and, it, and you might not need a ton of money to accomplish what you want. That's what yeah. I love about the work that Tim Ferriss is doing and others is they really like when someone says, I want to be a millionaire or I want to make a million dollars a year. Right. I always, I always take a step back and say, why? And a lot of cases when someone throws out a number, they, that's not really a thoughtful conversation um, because what, what results does that transfer into? I want to share another thing that I think will hit home. So Warren Buffett is worth over a billion dollars a billion dollars he's also over the age of 90 years old and so here's what's interesting is we are we chasing money or do we value time more than money and a, and a lot of times like i don't know many of your audience that would trade places with warren buffett i i don't have a billion dollars yet mm, I'm, I'm 25 yeah. years old I would not trade yeah. places with no, Warren Buffett. No, that's great. Yeah, let's, let's slow that down. Let that sink in. Because even when I heard, I almost heard it backwards. Like, who who wouldn't want to change places with Warren Buffett? You're like, no, really. Would you? Oh, no. no. <laughs> no. So here's what's interesting. Here, here's what's interesting. I would not trade places with Warren Buffett. That means I value my life more than $100 billion. I need that to sink in because what I've found is so many people on a macro level value time, but on a micro level devalue their time every day. Yeah, oh my God. And the way, and this is this, I want this to hit home, the way that we think about our wealth and the way that we handle our wealth is a direct devaluation on our, on our number one asset, which is you. So people are devaluing their, their, their time 
and in, in so many obvious ways. And yet, on a macro level, we all know that time is true wealth because at the end of the day, you could be on your deathbed um, or, or a sick person could care about, um, they, they only care about really one thing, it's getting, getting well. And so it's just perspective. And, I, and I, it's funny because recently I've been talking a lot more about purpose and I, and I know the, the sound bites are all the tactics. I know that's what sells, but you're right. If we don't have the ultimate compass, we don't know why we do what we do. I could talk about all kinds of strategies, and at the end of the day, there's going to be a void deep inside of us. Well, there's there's lots to talk about here, and, and I know we're going to talk about talking. I say every time I say and hear you talk about tactics, I'm like, there's a real chance we don't, <laughs> but, and that's okay. Uh, let's, we can do another another podcast if needed, or people can connect with you. However, if if they wanted those those tactical questions, but this idea of taboo, why don't we talk about money? This idea of the micro valuation of money and the purpose is something as simple as. And I know I'm kind of stirring the pot a lot of ideas and you can react to whatever. The one, the number one thing that I look out for when I work with a team or an individual that I'm coaching is what I call borrowed or stolen goals, stolen objectives. Like, what do you want out of your life? And, and, and they're like, oh, I want this. I want to be known. I want to be famous. I want to be that. I want to have this property. And, and I can sense usually somewhere in there that those are random objectives that they got from their peers, friends, mentors, somebody who all had them or aspires to them and they just grabbed them. And I, and I have seen a lot of very accomplished, ambitious people get to that spot. In fact, I had this similar. I wouldn't put myself in the same accomplishment as a lot of the people I work with, but I definitely checked all the boxes uh, early. Like all the things I thought I wanted out of life, like I had done in my 20s. <laughs> and so it was like I had, there was no pause in life. There was no one who sat me down and said, all right, let's fill, out, let's fill out the form for your set of objectives for the rest of your life and let's do this thoughtfully and authentically. So I was just kind of moving through life and sort of picking up goals and objectives and identities and, and trying to collect this stuff. And so through the process, somebody asked, asked this basic question, like who are you and what do you want? It's, I, I don't, I don't know. I got a lot of I got a lot of clothes I'm wearing here, and I think some of them are mine, but I, they look kind of like somebody else's, and, and so it's a hard question to ask, especially if you're very accomplished and making a lot of progress and hit a lot of life goals early in life. So that's kind of a I guess that's a, an information for people listening. Like if that's you, uh, you're normal, and give yourself some opportunity to uh, question. And challenge, like, do I really want that ranch? You know, do I do I want a private plane? Do I, do you know what is it? Do I need a, a beach house or a, or a, or a mountain house? It would, you know, and yeah. and give yourself permission to let go of some of that stuff because it might not be yours. Yeah, yeah. Two two things that come to my mind. One of my best friends who actually helped us start Better Wealth died of cancer. Left three kids under the age of eighteen. Was an incredible father, incredible human being, and and walking through that cancer fight with him was really life-giving for me because it was the ultimate reminder that life is short and he was the one that said Caleb like cherish every moment he would always say this cherish every moment and he he had his values right God family business and I just was really that time obviously it was just heartbreaking but it but it ultimately was the ultimate great reminder and so from that what I would encourage everybody to do is just think Think about death, not from a depressing standpoint, but it's going to happen to every single one of us. And regardless of how much money you have, success, it's all going to get stripped away. And yeah, so the, one of the quotes that, I, that, that comes to my mind is by a guy named Andy Stanley, and he says that the value of your life 
is always measured by how much of it was given away. So meaning, Mark, mm-hmm. at your funeral, no one's going to care about your podcast or the success that you had or the money that you made. We're going to be talking about the impact that you've had, the stories, the memories, the times that you went out of your way to challenge or encourage somebody. And so I, I constantly think of fulfillment for me is what, what can I do that can give of myself that's going to last greater than my lifetime? Um, mm-hmm. and, that, and that translates into a pretty fulfilling life. And um, it's, it's interesting because when we know that, you know, true wealth is, is when everything can get stripped away and you have your identity and who you are. Uh, and I know we're getting way in the weeds, but like that for me, I've, I've just learned so much and I've realized that the people I would be willing to trade places with really have, have a, they're playing a game that the media or other people can't take from them. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people's wealth are in their identity that's not in who they are it's what other people perceive of them and again until yeah. we truly truly get that we're going to be on a treadmill and we're going to want to keep up with the joneses and hey having a second house isn't bad having a private jet isn't bad like none of that stuff is bad it's just it's 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 the wrong thing if you're, if you're trying to do that to impress people that don't even like you or don't even think about you quite frankly or really get to that sense of fulfillment i've definitely had to do long stretches of hard work to to change circumstances and and it it doesn't feel fulfilling in the in the in the, in the moment making lots of sacrifices and so um then then getting some of those results to come about and then getting the sense getting some agency back basically you know, i'll try to be as tangible as possible like you know being in a situation where having to rebuild my life and having to build a brand and learn new skills and do things to really get that back and focus 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 and it wasn't a lot of wasn't a lot of joy in those times but it was purposeful for the long term and then as things started becoming more profitable and there was money then it was like okay there's a gap now in my life. I did the hard work. I sacrificed. Now, what do I want to add back in that makes life feel more worth living? And so I, I get that piece. And so I think that's kind of what you're after. We, we got to make sure that we've fill in some of those less monetizable activities because monetization is really important in a capitalist society really is yep. uh, and I don't want to devalue that at all and so it makes it hard for us to justify a lot of, th- a lot of things that are not immediately monetizable um, even donations this idea of donating something and like shoot do I get recognition for this do I want to do I want the gym named after me do I want to like right. a, a, an endowment in my name or do I just give it anonymously and, that, and those yep. are those are real spiritual questions to answer and I, I'm leaning on the, the, that anonymous giving is the is the bigger hard part, but it's it's a it's a real challenge to try to, to right. figure that stuff out. Now I want to throw out a question that, uh, and we're, we're going the opposite direction of tactics right now. <laughs> hey, it's fine. I just heard it in the last couple of days, and I, and it's a serious serious question about purpose because I when I I do so much work around it, and it's so hard to understand for for a lot of people who are at the edge of it and don't, and even for me, sometimes it's like really making it a tangible conversation is hard, but I I heard a question that I thought made it pretty tangible, but it's a very serious question. And I don't want anybody who is feeling really desperate in their life and taking serious stock uh, and maybe having a deep depression that I don't want them to to be glib with this question. But the question uh, to discover purpose is something along the lines of what, prevents you from killing yourself right now what are the reasons ending your own life right now would not be good and and that that question i found very profound it's like it's not to make sure i get to that podcast it's not <laughs> you know it's because there are people who i 
value and I want to care for and contribute to and there's things I can do that would be that feel to me like a loss to the world if I if I can't produce and do those things so I love how that question immediately strips away a lot of surface and gets to something remaining that there is something there that I think is worth unpacking yeah no I I think that's an incredibly profound question and just an, uh, an exercise because at the end of the day if you can conclude that you could be valuable to one person yeah one person right, right. right. smiling at the person that helps you get your coffee in the morning or yeah. you know encouraging encouraging one person that listens to this that is like oh thinking differently about money and so it, it takes yeah, it's it not a new a, iphone right it's not it's not yeah. like reinventing search <laughs> like, yeah. that's not why yeah. i don't it might be that it might be bringing joy to one human being it's enough yeah. to do that it's a total game changer and yeah. thinking about a size up purpose it's good it's good I, yeah i i appreciate that question i think it needs to be worded properly and i think you <laughs> you did you did that and but i ultimately think it gets people to really think and and whether whether you're you're rethinking life or whether you're just being like man I want I want my life to matter it, it gives it perspective and I appreciate you sharing that. So that's philosophical. Let's turn let's turn this to tangible. Um, you know, what, what, entrepreneurial wealth. What is what what is that? What is, makes an entrepreneurial versus just wealth? Yeah, no, I, I think. One of the one of the things that one word that I use a lot when it comes to entrepreneurs and and wealth creation is is value. Um, I think if we understand that money follows value, um, things start getting really really clear. And there's there's a lot of people that will say that, and um, you know they'll say hey, like, hey, I, my my business is super super valuable, but it it went under or whatever, or mm-hmm. I you know I should be getting paid more money, and it, and it comes down to. You might the what does the market value? The market market might value that they just might not know that you exist, and so it's not like you can't just conclude that it's like oh your business didn't make it because your services weren't valuable. But it's it, one of the things is wealth follows value, and at the end of the day, whether you're a business owner, whether you're you're working for somebody, whether you're investing, we always have to think short term and long term the value creation. Um, and a lot of times in this crazy world of inflation, um, we, or, you know, we don't know what the Federal Reserve is going to do. We look at other places like China and all these other countries, and there's a lot of unknowns. One of the biggest questions that I get is, Caleb, how do I hedge against inflation? Should I buy gold? Should I you know, buy guns and bullets? I'm pretty much banning us from every other platform just by saying this. Um, <laughs> you know, the, true, the true takeaway is this. Create, create value with your investments or with yourself and you will always be fine regardless of what the inflation brings uh, regardless of what happens value will always win in the end and yes you could have a gold bar but if it everything hits the fan what is that going to actually do you know you could have but but the person that that creates value now and in the future they will all whatever our monetary you know system is whether it's bitcoin dollar the yen or whatever it, it's going to flow it's going to flow to the value creation what, what i like to point out is the u.s dollar is is not there's nothing special it literally said it, it's a federal reserve note um it says here note. this note is a legal tender for all debts public and private this is just this is just a a note that's getting less and less valuable every single year and it's an iou for the people that 
create value in the world. And so that that is a big fundamental ph- philosophical um, thing that I want to just lay out is when we think about investments, when we think about where we should be saving our money, when we think about who we should hire, what marketing we should do, coaching, just it always comes down to value now and in the future. That's interesting because the, the money, which is the most easily measurable form of value in a capitalist con- you know, yep. economy, is really just a state of transition. Yep. Between between you know need and and, and solution like there's there's a there's a, like you said value is one end of this there's a need at the other the supply and demand and and the, all a dollar is is in between <laughs> it's going from one form to the other and so it's very it's a, the most generic and I guess it gives it potential like it's the most um, negotiable it's literally what it is it's negotiable against all as you can translate into any languages of, of problem and solution and in value and need uh, but it isn't anything in particular other than that it's weird so so now what we can do if you'd like is go into now the practical like okay what do we do when we have money um yeah do you, do you, okay i would so, love to talk so about that <laughs> this, this 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 is what and i'm going to make this incredibly simple we we in the financial service world love to make things complicated because it makes us look smarter and we we want to be able to say oh you can't do this on your own mark so you have to you have to work with someone like i um, so anyways this this is this is going to be really simple so if you're if you're listening to this and not driving you might want to take out um, a piece of paper to do some do some sketches uh, if you're driving keep keep your eyes on the road and re-listen to this. Um, but what, what I draw is a dollar sign, and this represents cash flow. At the, at the end of the day, cash flow is what makes the world go round. Cash flow is the metric that matters. When yeah, we, when I'm we drawing say, the dollar sign. And do you use yep. two lines in the dollar, or just one? You got the S just, with the I one use line? two. Okay, I use two, too. but that's a bad habit. I, I realize that I'm, I'm rare with that. Really? I um, use the two. Okay, interesting. Okay, okay good. Um, so at the end of the day, cash flow is the metric that we should be planning for. Retirement planning should ultimately called future cash flow planning that's what it should be called so cash flow now and in the future so 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 mark when you have money when you have money it only can do two things money can only do two things it can be consumed or it can be saved for a future consumption day it can be consumed or it could be saved now, what's interesting is, and, and people will push back. They'll say, wait, wait, wait a second, there's a lot more, but let me define. Con- consumption is essentially, you know, your lifestyle. Okay. So, your lifestyle includes taxes, debt service, spending money on food, kids, because last I checked that kids weren't, kids weren't a free item. Mm, they're not. <laughs> giving. Like, all these things are representing your life. A lot of times when people budget, they don't, they don't include things like taxes. They'll say, hey, Caleb, I spend $8,000 a month. I'm like, okay, that's what you're spending, but if you didn't pay your taxes, you'd be in jail. So the, the tax bill that you have goes into your consumption, i.e. goes into your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So what's interesting is, I, I don't need to ask someone to budget, I just need to ask you one question. Mark, how much do you save a year? How much do you save, not just to buy your next car, but how, how much do you save for the future? If you tell me that number, I just subtract that from your gross income, and boom, that tells me your consumption. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So money only does two things. It's consumed or it's saved. Now, let's talk about savings. Savings is just the verb. 
ultimately, what's the purpose of saving money? You want to buy an asset. Um, there's multiple definitions of an asset. Robert Kiyosaki's definition of an asset is putting money back in your pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, Something that makes money, right? He's like, if, it, if it takes money away from you, it's a liability. If it, if it gives you money back, it's an asset. That's his version and, for sure. And, and it's, a good, it's a good definition. Um, Investopedia's definition is more, you know, an asset is anything of value on a, on a balance sheet so that you could sell and it, they mm-hmm. don't really go into the cash flow. My definition of an asset is, is what is that thing that will help you live more intentional? So it's, again, a little bit more philosophical, mm. but it's like, mm. what, what should you be investing your time and money in that will ultimately help you live more intentional? Because remember, that's the, that's the metric. Um, and so ultimately, assets need to be translated into cash flow. We can get all philosophical, but at the end of the day, cash flow is what makes the world go around. And so um, some of the questions that I would ask you as it relates to this is we would do an asset audit and we'd say, why do you have that asset? What result... Is that getting you? What are the tax consequences of that? How much control do you have? And what's interesting to me is majority of entrepreneurs cannot articulate why they have their real estate, why they have their 401k, why they have a SEP IRA. It goes something like this. Oh, my, my CPA or oh, my buddy or oh, my financial advisor told me to invest in this. And, and, you, and you realize that a lot of people are investing in things that they don't really understand and they can't really translate the value, the result that it's getting them. But what's interesting is money only does two things, consumption or saving. If I know how much you consume, I can then model, I can model that line. So for instance, if you make $100,000, we're just making this really simple. Yeah. You make $100,000 and you tell me you save 10000 What can I assume about your current lifestyle? Spending 90. You're spending 90 and you might, you're, I'm not spending 90. Well, when you include everything, yeah. it costs you $90,000 to do your life couple things that happen there. Number one, every time you lose a dollar or spend a dollar or consume a dollar, it's gone forever. That dollar will never be able to work for you or be controlled by you ever again. But the other thing is then we, could, we believe in modeling everything. So w- line number one is I would say, all right, your consumption is 90,000. What do we know to be true about inflation? <laughs> that you know, 20 years from now, just to maintain your current standard of living, you need to be spending a lot more than 90,000 just to maintain because inflation is making our money less valuable. So on line one, I can show you what your consumption is going to be. Line two, I can just take your savings and we can make whatever assumptions you want to make on the investing side. And I can show people, are you in balance or not? 98% of entrepreneurs are out of balance. 98% of people that come to us are not in balance with their money. What does that mean? That means from a cash flow ratio standpoint, there's going to be a day where they're going to either have to reduce their standard of living, work longer than they wanted to work, or get a better investments or save more. And this, what I love about this philosophy, it has nothing to do with philosophy. You like what I did there? It's uh, <laughs> is nothing to do with heads in the cl- It's a true math. Yeah. It's a true like a ratio. And, and at the end of the day, um, it makes it really, really simple. And it's not tied to any products. Because I want, I want to enhance the cash flow conversation. And then we can get into conversations about, you know, better investing or reducing consumption. That's where taxes come in. That's where understanding debt comes in. That's when understanding, you know, tracking your money and different insurance hacks can enhance that. And then investing, it's like better investments are a good idea. You know, saving, that's why I'm a fan of the and asset strategy is it, it enhances your investments long-term. But at the end of the day, we can either enhance our savings, make that better, or 
optimize or make it more efficient our consumption and and either one of those um, helps our bottom line and so at the end of the day the dollar sign draw two lines saving consumption and those are the three categories that we can talk about and those are the only three categories that really make sense and so we're, we're really on a mission to try to make this stuff simple because people love to complicate this and, and at the end of the day money is actually really simple if you understand how it flows so I, I want to discuss exactly what this and asset thing is and probably people are asking about it in, um, in their mind but I also want to talk about uh, the, the aspect of giving an intentional life because I, I like what you say uh, about just like let's just call it what it is it's spending uh, yep. Although it would be arguable, and Dave Ramsey certainly uh, breaks it out as a different thing, uh, and then you know, I, I think there's even three or four. And I was always when I teach my daughter, I, I think there's uh, there's spending, giving, saving, and investing. And, and, I, and I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying at all. When I yep. say make a difference with, distinction between saving and investing, you save for a car. You're not spending the money, and then you're but you are going to spend the money. Investing, you're putting that in a bucket, and that's the end of the road. That's it. You put it in the bucket, and that's where it stays forever. It's your army of working money that's going to give you. That's the distinction I make. But I, I totally agree with what you're saying. But I want to bring it back to giving and its role in living that intentional life. Where in the conversation do you talk about that? I think I think giving is one of the most important things that you can be doing. I'll, I'll just I'll just take this back to you know we have a lot of clients that feel very strongly about education, mm-hmm. and they spend thousands and thousands of dollars a year on their kids education is that like i would say that's an investment in their children mm-hmm. i would mm-hmm. say i would say true consumption is that's the intentional living i would hope that you're being really intentional in that from a pure cash flow ratio whether you're spending money on your kids ed- education whether you're giving to a church whether you're giving to someone that's homeless that needs help you're you're taking dollars and you're giving that and it can be an investment in your values. There can be massive value in investing in your kid's education because of what, I mean, you could say your kids are your future investment plan. Mm-hmm, you know right. what I'm saying? It's like, I want them to do well if so they can take farmer, care of me. If you're a farmer. But, but at the end of the day, from a cash flow standpoint, it's still consumption. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it still I, represents that consumption. It just, we have to understand that, well, you know. It, it, yeah. ra- it raises the burden of purpose because if you yep. keep if you keep it arm's length, which most wealth advisors do, that is, our, let's just call it spending. Okay. And so it has an immediate negative impact in your investment strategy. And so that labels it as bad right away. So you have to have a real sense of self to go back and yep. look at your lifestyle and say, this is my giving strategy and this is my purpose and yep. I, I'm i defending it for these reasons. Otherwise, it's going right. to start to look like a bad thing. If you give 10% of your wealth away, that, that goes into your current lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Does that, that make sense? I mean, you could cut that out you could save 10%, but at the end of the day, you'd have to audit, like, what do you really want out of your life? What do you really value? At the end of the day, the, the people that give, that, that goes into their current lifestyle because their lifestyle is being a giver. So mm-hmm. it just goes back to none of this stuff is bad. Um, our goal is not to try to change people's behaviors. It's trying to, number one, ask them, are you spending money on what you value? Are, is, your, is your current lifestyle representing what, what you value? And you'd be shocked just by tracking your cash flow, you realize a lot about your life. Mm-hmm. It's just very interesting. <laughs> and then we can look at other things like taxes 
and that can be a huge needle mover because at the end of the day, you, you, you want to be above board, but a lot of people are overpaying on taxes. And that's an example is $1 saved in a tax, that, that, that truly is amazing because now you're reducing your consumption and increasing savings. Unless the assuming you do save, and that's what our encouragement is, if we can find efficiencies in e- either area, that money is going to go to savings because at the end of the day, it's you're already counting it towards your current lifestyle, and so um, lo- lots of good things. But yeah, you're right. Um, we try to simplify it as, into two categories. So the lifestyle world is is kind of it was hitting a nerve for me, and I and I figure out what it is. How do you help an entrepreneur separate their personal identity from the business and because because like personally it's it's a very personal business my business is mark henderson leary llc (laughs) and so there are people in it and they get paid but the identity blends and so my giving strategy actually comes through the business i took it out of the personal side um because I, wa- I guess I wanted it to be ubiquitous. It wasn't just a personal thing. I wanted it to come from the business, and I had a little. I felt like I made more sense. It might not. It might actually not. I'm, and I'm kind of challenging that now because it, it makes it hard to exactly size the giving that comes from the organization as a, as a relative amount of my my lifestyle portion. So when you see these enmeshed entrepreneurs trying to sort out what's personal, what's business, what's what's the shareholder situation, how do you how do you get people to kind of separate those out? Yeah, these are these are really good questions. Here's what I would say, and we're not going to go into this on this podcast. There you um, go. Because <laughs> there's a limit. But, but no, no. But I, but I, but like I would ask you a bunch of questions on your entity mm-hmm. and all this. I would say at a, at a high level, um, a lot of business owners are are lying to themselves, and they're actually it's like you can say it's from your business, but if you have a pass through entity, it, it's the same mm-hmm. yeah. same concept, and so it's just giving it strategically. Um, and and at the end of the day, there are there are there are strategies that go into into this. Um, but at the at the end of the day, majority of business owners do not know their numbers. They're flying blind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's very very common, and some amazing things can happen when we know our numbers. It can allow us to be generous, and it, and it can allow us to really make educated decisions. So so that from a standpoint, a lot, of answering, that, that was really helpful because I like I know all my numbers cold. I know how they all fit together down to the point, cool. and so. I'm like, okay, now I feel a lot better about that. It doesn't matter exactly where you, if you just break it yeah. into those two chunks, what's being saved, and what's being spent, the, the math isn't any different. You apply it to the business, you apply it to the individual, exact same approach. A lot of a lot of people are playing like Russian roulette with their business credit cards. They're just like, you know what? We're just going to swipe it. And and they don't really understand yeah. how each decision translate themselves personally. And you know, a common tax strategy is just to spend a bunch of money before the end of the year. Like before the end of the year ends, and it's yeah. like that's not that's not a tax strategy. Yeah, it's like don't. So it's one of those things where a lot of people are doing that, whether they know it or not. They're not really intentional about every dollar that comes into their their household economy. And I just want to throw that out there because I said something that I was very meaningful to me that I know my financial details yep. like to a, I think a ridiculous level of precision, which is after my self-assessment, the exact right amount of precision for me, which was not the case 20 years ago, 30 years yeah. ago, or 10 years ago. I, I, I'm trying to think, yeah. maybe it was 10 years ago that the light bulb started going on. But I point that out to say that, um, for me at least, um, I struggled, and I was trying 
trying to figure it out. Yep. I was trying to figure out why I didn't feel as wealthy or is at least affluent yep. or even, even, even not poor at times when yep. I thought I was like, I think I'm pretty high on the percentile of income earners in the country. And I don't, I don't feel like I'm totally in control of this. And I was searching and I, and everywhere I looked, people were like, I don't know. I can't help you. I, I don't, I don't see what's wrong either. And I, and so you, I'm, people come to you going like, do you finally have the answers? And you're like, yeah. you know, I might actually. No, and this is, I just want to be very, very clear. Majority of business owners don't know their numbers and that creates a lot of stress. That creates second guessing and that, that creates like um, a lot of problems. And so I would just 100% encourage people to really dig down and, and get really, really clear on on those, whether it's your personal economy, business economy, and the biggest problem is a lot of people are co-mingling. Mm-hmm. And if your business books are bad, your your personal life will never be okay. So both of those need to be good. And um, yeah, yeah, that and, was a and by the for way, me. by the way, your business can be run off a of cash flow ratio too, saved or yeah. consumed. So yeah, it's just, exactly. Yeah, it, it's, same it's universal what we're talking about. Yeah. So to that point, as somebody who wrestled with the same thing, I, I think a lot of well, I don't know. Maybe I, I think a lot of people are similar to me in the sense that they, the identity blends and you think, well, it's, I'm an entrepreneur. And so my number one energy output is running this business. It provides for me and my family and the people around it. And so even if there is a sense of separateness of the finances, the attention is outsized dramatically into the business, yeah. which is actually way more complicated and then kind of gets stuck. So if you look at how much knowledge the entrepreneur has of their personal finances, it's almost none <laughs> because it's subordinate to the business and the business is really sa- or is uh, you know behind the schedule on that. It took me a long time <laughs> long time yep. and a lot of very expensive mistakes to get to the point where I see them separately and interacting very healthy. And I run them different. I run my personal finances with, with different thinking that is compatible with my, my business finances. And I'm, I don't know, I'm, yep. I, that's my sound like bragging, but I'm like, there, my, there's I, my a point lot. is to say the, that it was, it was not easy. <laughs> it was not yeah. easy to figure it out for me. Yeah. There's a lot that we could talk about this. I would say the the whether you want to sell or not, you should always run your business as a different entity. Think about you getting hit by a bus. Think about you selling. Think about like um, the SOPs and other or people in the organization. And it really should be its own its own body, its own you know. And and unfortunately, a lot of lot of entrepreneurs and small business owners don't operate that way. And and. It's it's just very very common. It's it's you're not you're not like weird if that's you. You're you're part of the most common popular entrepreneur group. But our mission is really help people start separating that and get more and more clear on how they can start winning on their personal life and in their business life. Yeah yeah yeah. And so I I that just kept that concept of the identity of the entrepreneur. Sometimes people really are shocked when I sit them in the room and there's a team of leaders and owners and, and I say, guys, you know, a lot of people have told you that you and your business are the same as your values and all that. And, and you have been encouraged to identify with your business, even though some people talk about the downsides of that. I'm here to say that's not 
actually the case. You are no more identified with your business than you are identified with your kids. Your kids share your DNA. You have a responsibility to teach them, train them, coach them, raise them, but they are separate people that, that have a life journey and your business. Now, some, my business isn't exactly like this. A lot of people have businesses that are more tied to their skill set, but most entrepreneurs have an asset that would be very well satisfied to live a life after they have departed the business one way or the other. And so it's really important to understand that you have personal objectives and personal core values and a personal mission that is hopefully very compatible with your business, but is not the same as, and at some point may diverge from those two separate paths. Yep. I I think you're spot on, dude. Spot on. So tell me about the and asset and why is it in all caps? (laughs) Uh, The... The and asset was was the big epiphany for me. Um, I was working at the bank. I was really passionate about a lot of efficiency hacks, and um, and I started looking at like what our banks were doing with money, what my mentors were doing with money, and I realized that a lot of institutions, like over three thousand banks today, have some of their safest assets into life insurance. Um, so a lot of my wealthy um, mentors saved a ton of money into life insurance. A lot of Fortune 500 companies use life insurance on their books. And I started asking why. Because we've, I've always been taught that life insurance was the worst place to put your money. And it was just like you'd be better off burying your money in the backyard than putting your money into life insurance. And I realized a couple things. Number one, life insurance uh, for most people uh, is not set up properly. And you should just buy term and invest the difference. But I realized that the people that were putting their money into life insurance weren't thinking about it as an investment. They were hyperfunding it in such a way that they were sticking a ton of cash in. They were getting a lot of cash available for them to use, and they were looking at it more from a, a savings vehicle, a, a place to store capital, and not to invest. And so what they would do is it would save money, and it could be their emergency fund. They would save money, and they would be their, like their opportunity fund. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then they would invest in real estate, their business, mm-hmm. and other things through that. And what that would accomplish is their money would grow the rest of their life tax-free. They could utilize it uh, tax-free. It would get passed on to their next generation tax-free. So that's why you know why a lot of wealthy people use it, especially with a lot of conversations today for many people, it's one of the only places that, that they can put money, that their money can grow tax-free. And, and the epiphany for me was you can utilize this capital through collateralized loan. And what that essentially means is you can get all the compounding benefits of, of life insurance long-term mm-hmm. and have the ability to use capital in the short-term. And so the reason it's called the and asset is you can utilize your money now and it's still going to be beneficial for the future. And so we're working on a movie project where I'm uh, having conversations with people like retirement experts. Mm -hmm. And I don't relate to retirement, but what's interesting to me is like Ernst and Young and Dr. Wade Fowle and, um, you know, even Ed Slott are all like experts when it comes to the, you know, the future. And they're saying, oh, actually insurance, when, when set up and used properly, can enhance your investment portfolio because it can act as a super bond. It can act as a volatility buffer. It can enhance other annuities and pensions. And so they're saying like, oh, life insurance can actually be a part of your portfolio and, and give you more options in the future. And then I have some other mentors that saying, I don't care about retirement. I just care about storing my capital. And this is the best, most protected place to have my money compound tax free the rest of my life and maintain control. And I feel like I'm one of the only people that are saying, why can't both of these camps get along? Mm -hmm. 
And why can't we have this be part of your portfolio and have the benefit of controlling your money throughout your life? And so I, uh, I see life insurance not as an investment alternative, but as a place to store capital. I save over six figures a year. So you want to talk about my personal case study? I save a lot of money, but I'm not saying goodbye to that for the next 30 years. I have active control over this. And when opportunities come up, I can invest, but my money will compound tax-free the rest of my life, whether I say yes to opportunities or not. So that's interesting because I, I, one of the things I've got for you, somewhere in we talked about investing in things we don't understand or making it very complex. And I, I sort of, every time I would work with an investor and they'd st- put a stack of things of performa and things to, to read, I was like, I'm not going to read that. <laughs> that is the most ridiculous, no way. Um, and so I found myself just constantly frustrated with the idea that all of these vehicles and all these, you know, was all, so opaque. All that was opaque, and it just gave opportunities for the investment advisors to say a bunch of stuff that um, put them in control of, of the situation just through being opaque. And so I liked the I like, I want to invest in like restaurants, which was a terrible investment, obviously, but like I actually did invest <laughs> in a bar. It turned out great, it was, but it was something at least I understood because I felt like if this bar yep. has a problem and they can't get somebody to, to attend the bar, like I could drive down here and I could attend bar. And so like the understanding was very intuitive. Like, so I, I feel better about that kind of thing. So looking at the tax advantaged situations, they're so... You can't do that. You can't like, I like to invest in a bar through my Roth IRA. Like, that's not a thing. Yep. And so the idea that you could use some sort of tax-advantaged vehicle that actually puts some control back into your court, where you could buy a piece of property. You could do that. That, was, that, that idea was kind of mind-blowing to me. Yeah. I, yeah, I think the, the epiphany for me is this is not an or asset. This is not a this or that. Um, you put your money in your 401k. You actually have to take it out if you want to use it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you put your money, you set it well into a Roth. And so there's really no other paper asset that allows you to do this. And the reason, if we want to geek out for a moment, the reason why life insurance is, is really the only um, you know vehicle that can do this is they're hedging both the actuarial death mm-hmm, <laughs> and they also have billions of dollars that they're investing in other things. So they're hedging rate of return, which we're all in that game, and they're also hedging it with you know you know actuarial science. And if you work with certain companies that are mutual, meaning that you have some type of ownership benefit, you can actually hedge both of those. And th- so there's, there's some people that are just putting some of their money into life insurance. They don't, they're not entrepreneurial. They don't want to control their money. They don't see the advantage of having access to capital, whereas that, like, that would be attractive to you and I. Mm, yeah. Some people that's not attractive to, they just like the, the concept of like, oh, I can diversify um, some of my money so that I can tap into some actuarial science and that's just code word for diversify my money so it's not all in one type of bucket called based on interest rates or, or what the market does. For, for me, it's just the light bulb moment of saying, okay, life insurance has a lot of benefits long term just from the tax benefits alone. I mean, you're looking at right now just taxes is a hot button. We have over $80 trillion of unfunded liabilities as a country. You're, you're hearing a lot of people right now talk about, openly talk about, we need to raise taxes, we need to raise taxes, we need to raise taxes. And if you look at history, they might say we just need to raise taxes on the, one, the top one 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 percent but you know that trickles down eventually. And so one of a lot of our clients just love getting some of their money off the radar of the IRS 
And when set up and used properly, this is actually tax exempt. You don't have to file any papers. Um, if all your money was here and you were you know, sending your kid to college, you would look broke. You wouldn't have to report that as an actual asset. And in, in some states, it has the an amazing, amazing assets protection. And so some people just see it as a great place to store capital, get the benefits of, of you know, long term, but ultimately maintain control. And, and the reason this is called the and S is you don't have to choose anymore more between now and in the future. And when that epiphany went off and when I realized that that message wasn't being articulated very clearly, I'm like, there's a, there's a big opportunity to open people's eyes. Um, but I will say, and, and we can talk about this if you'd like, there's a ton of negatives to life insurance. And hmm. unfortunately, a lot of people are not setting it up properly. And, and so as a result, it, just because life insurance is the solution doesn't mean it's set up properly. And, and unfortunately, because of uh, incentives and other things, a lot of people are, are setting, up, setting up policies that are not a true win for the consumer. So yes, let's talk about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the, the most, I mean, he, let me just explain. You want to overfund life insurance, which means you want to maximize the living benefits. You want to minimize the insurance drag. So okay. the... The most common thing is when you when you open up a permanent life insurance, what's common is in the first couple of years, you have very little cash. Sometimes you have zero cash value in the first couple of years. The cash value is what you can actually utilize. Um, if you have it set up properly, you should have over 85, 80 to 85% of cash value in the first year. Really? Why? It should break even in the first couple of years. Oh, just because the, you should be overfunding it well enough to, that that's the, the math. Yeah, okay. Yes. And at the end of the day, it just comes down to the commission to the agent just is reduced significantly. The way that we set up our policies, Mark, um, we, we get one-tenth of a commission that a normal person sets up. Hmm. But, but the reason is it's better for the consumer, and, at, and that's why we, we serve people in all 50 states. Hmm. I mean, so it's not like we actually do better because we set these things up properly. Um, but the biggest thing is you want to reduce the, the base premium um, and you want to create a lot of special type of um, flexible PUA riders. That's what they're called. And, you, and there's a way to like create a blend where you're creating a lot of cash, better growth, more flexibility. The, overall, it's the better way to design a policy. The, the biggest difference is the person setting that up gets paid a lot less. And, and that's why we, we are under attack in our own industry hmm. because it's kind of like the, you don't want to share this. Um, but at, but at the end of the day, if you're going to do this, make sure that you're minimizing the base insurance cost and you're maximizing the living benefits. And, and if you're not getting over 80% of cash value in the first year, um, make sure you get a second opinion. And, and just, just because that's, like a, that's a telltale sign that there's ways to optimize it. Okay. What else? What else? Is that the main thing? 80% of the value is 80% of the things you need to watch out for? Yeah, I think if you get... Early, early cash value, early on, and and you have flexibility. You can you can deal with a lot <laughs> like that. That's definitely the biggest hack. Um, the other thing is you want to work with a mutual company. So you want to write that down. You want to work with a mutual company, which means that you have you, the ownership benefits are translated to you in some form. Um, so there are other companies out there that might look really sexy on paper, but at the end of the day, they're serving two masters. And, and you want to really make sure that the ultimate profits of that company um, ge- are gen- 
come to you in some form or fashion. So that's the other that's the other big thing. And you want to work with someone that understands this. And this is no pitch for us, but we are willing to serve or take a second look. Or if you have a life insurance policy that you're not sure about, you can always reach out and we would love to add value to your audience in any way that we, that we can. So what is a mutual company? What does that mean? Um, well, there's, there's a mutual and a stock company. So you know when Warren Buffett is buying a bunch of insurance companies? Mm-hmm. Um, he's doing that because there's a lot of money in, in insurance companies and actuarial science. But when Warren Buffett buys a company, um, who, who gets the profits at the end of the year? Berkshire Hathaway, Warren, okay? Um, so the, the, you know, the profits go to the shareholders. Mm-hmm. In a mutual company, it's very much like a co-op or credit union, is the shareholders are the actual policyholders, are the actual people that are banding together. Mm-hmm. And, and there's, believe it or not, there's still companies to this day that are mutual, which ultimately means at the end of the year when there's profits, it's going to go to the shareholders. But to be a shareholder, you need to be um, you need to be part of that company. You need to be part of that co-op. You need it's not it's not considered a membership, but you become a member by you know having a policy. And so um, there's really no cons to this. Um, the the massive pro is that there's no the money the the profits aren't going to another entity. They're staying within. Um, I would say the only con to a mutual company is um, capital. And so you're not seeing a bunch of mutual companies start because where are they going to get capital? Um, so most mutual companies that we deal with have been, been around for w- way over 100 years, and that's just because they, almost, they have to be at this point to, to maintain their mu- mutuality. Okay, okay. Anything else you want to say on that? Because i got another question about retirement. No, I, I would just say it's... it's it's a hack for entrepreneurs that uh, if you want to save and want to maintain control, um, the and asset overfunding life insurance is a hack that you should look into. Okay, I love that. So maybe the last topic, uh, we'll see. We're, we're actually, I'm going to have this conversation all day long. It's, I, I'm really enjoying this is, it. This has been a blast. Uh, this has been a blast. So this is an interesting one. I, most of my entrepreneurial friends, peers, colleagues, clients, people I hang out with, uh, sort of reject the term retirement. Some people, some yeah. people don't. Some people see it as like when I sell it, I'm out. And I have it. I have had some clients and friends who were like that. I sold the business, I'm done, and now it's all about the grandkids, and that's retirement. But I, I, that's a less and less common definition. I think most, more and more people kind of bristle when you say retirement. And I certainly, when doing yep. financial planning, my people come to me and I say, they say well, retirement. Like that's not a thing. It's a, this cliff. Like I stopped making money one day. Yep. That's that's not how this is going to work. At least for me, I'm I'm going to. Yeah. always do something that is always going to be monetizable and, and some people will kind of move into the deal phase of their life and, and money comes in chunks uh, for me it's going to be more kind of just taper off and, and, and that sort of thing but how do you approach this less than uh, binary approach to, to financial independence financial yeah. wealth uh, and, and even just that word when people say like, hey I'm never going to retire yeah. how, what do you, how do you handle that so, so a couple things. I could probably talk for another hour about this. Um, fu- fundamentally, I reject the word retirement. I think um, that the word retirement, um, my favorite definition is to be taken out of service. And so I, I think there, there's a deep, like, should we, is there room in our life to just retire, to be taken out of service? So I think there's problems there. Retiring a horse <laughs> yeah. is not something that I want to be a part of, you know? <laughs> right. And so, so... And if you actually look at um, history, 
the when we started talking about social security and retirement and all these things like you can you can speak life and death over people and there's studies that show that when people retirement and they check out and watch Fox News or CNN they die sooner why it's because they're they they're losing their sense of 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 producing value and at the end of the day if our life is all about just consumption um, it's very unfulfilling, and that translates into into our health. So fundamentally, um, I try to try not to use the word retirement. We do use it just because it's like we sometimes you have to. It's like we could get I could get all like um, uh, like righteous and say like oh retirement's a bad thing, and at the end of the day, sometimes I just need to talk about better ways to retire. So yeah. we call it future cash flow planning, and I believe in financial freedom ultimately, which means intentional living, and I believe. That you, if you like wealth, is when you have enough cash flow coming in that allows you to live intentional in an intentional life. And I'm telling you, intentional living is the metric. So if you're 45 years old and have that, amazing. Keep doing that till the day that you die. If you're 65 and you identify what what intentional living looks like and you're able to live off your assets and accomplish that, amazing. Keep doing that. Um, but that's the conversation that we have. We don't. We don't try to like make it about retirement planning because I feel like it it divorces us from true purpose. It divorces us from value, and um, I, I I see that translating into people just very much giving up on their dreams. I, I don't think you should ever stop dreaming. In fact, when you get to the more seasoned area of your life, you have the ability to give back exponentially because you have wisdom. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of life experience. And so I'm riffing a lot, but yeah, my, my official view of retirement is it's very damaging if you, if you take that definition of being taken out of service and intentional living, it should be the ultimate metric. But I do believe that there should be a time where you should live life intentionally, which means if you want to work, you work, but if you don't, you don't. So, so is that part of the formula? financial situation allows you to do is that. somebody saying like, hey, I want to, here's my life at 65, and it involves me working, doing a little bit of what I love, and making X dollars. Do you put the X dollars into the formula, or you say, well, let's just run it without that, because I want you to have a life that, that, where that is truly optional? Or do you just let the, the, the client decide that? We run a cash flow ratio. So the cash flow ratio will tell them if they can maintain balance or not. So what we do is we look at their consumption. We we assume some type of inflation number, whatever they tell us. We look at what they're doing. We can model selling their business. We can model inheritance. We can model you know buying real estate. We can model whatever someone wants, and we show them on a two-line graph, this is what you want, this is what you have, and, and from there, we have conversations about what needs to be tweaked, and the people that ha- can maintain balance, they can do... they. The question is, what do they want to do with their time? Okay. Um, and in a lot of times, there there needs to be a, a change in conversation. By the way, if you own a business, make sure you understand the true value of that business. And your business might be more valuable holding on to and hiring an operator versus selling. Mm, yeah, Who knows? For sure. But let me ask you this. Do you actually have a way to make that decision? Majority of people that come to us don't. And so we just have a conversation around cash flow. It has nothing to do with retirement. It just has to do with, can you have an increase in cash flow the rest of your life? And for a lot of people, the answer is no. And so we have, now that we know that, we can have conversations around that. So if somebody says, uh, just for round numbers, you know, you need 150,000 to live your lifestyle at, at past whatever point. And you say, and your assets look like they're gonna produce 100 grand in cash flow. And you telling me, as a former $100,000, $150,000 a year um, 
CFO, and these on these numbers are going to match. You're going to do some consulting for fifty grand in that year, and that's one hundred and fifty. That's your plan, or do you say like, can we run that so you don't have to have the fifty, or or would you say? I guess it looks like you got to work for 50. <laughs> yeah, no. So there's there's active and leveraged cash flow. Yeah, okay. And I'm a big fan of leveraged cash flow. And But at the end of the day, it, it goes back to um, would consulting be a part of intentional living? Right. If the answer is no, then I think the goal should be not to have yeah. to rely on that. Yeah. If, if the answer is yes, then amazing. But that's where Robert Kiyosaki, yeah. he assumes that passive cash flow is the ultimate right. metric and I've I've met a lot of people just recently actually who have it set that are miserable. Hmm. And and it translates into they're 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 not like they've been taught to delegate everything to have passive cash flow and there's only so much alcohol that you can drink. There's only so much, you know, news that you can consume and and so it's just it just goes back to think about and just a lot of people don't understand, you know, ratios are so important. Debt to income ratio, sleep to work ratio, you know, play to work ratio. Like everything in our life, whether we know it or not, is a ratio. Food to water, mm-hmm. um, you know, just on this recent trip, tequila to water. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, you, we all have to find balance. Yeah. And, and we just simplify like there's got to be balance between, you know, savings and assets versus consumption. And, it, 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 and by the way, some people might just want to live on less. Yeah. Some people might want to work longer. Like, there's no, the beautiful thing about the cash flow ratio is I'm not pushing my own agenda on you. I'm just showing you the facts, and then we can make decisions and we can pivot based on what we want to do. That's interesting. And I, I didn't even, I just sort of stumbled onto I have a friend who, you know, is, could be independently wealthy right now and just cannot seem to shut down his his practice of what he does and he's not trying to shut it he's not even trying to shut it down but he's he's uh you know he's getting pressure from his wife like we don't need more money we need more time and he's like yeah i know and and there's like this there's a tension there that, that he his role is providing i think or something i have is i'm putting words into this theoretical situation but he you know he's clearly driven and so it would be fool's strategy to create a passive life where it's all pina coladas on yep. the beach and, and you're like but but my thing is not just doing the work and i think this the, the part of this i want to kind of surface is that it's you know giving volunteering your time at the library <laughs> is is not the same thing as generating high value that, that is re- compensated for in money that's put into an account like that might be part of the process you might need to be able to want to say like I made high dollar value in this exchange and I and even though I don't need more money in that bank account I want to see it go in there because that's that's fulfillment to me well and the other thing is every business that is profitable is creating value right because and and how do I know that is because mo- money follows value. So, <laughs> money follows value. So right. here's the thing: is being in business is not selfish. Yeah, right. Being in business could be one of the best ways that you give back to the world. And I know that 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 message is being attacked right now. But it's like if you don't believe that, then let's rethink our business. Yeah. yeah. So my whole thing is um, there. There are people that are going to work to the day that they die. Amazing. I, I I talked to a guy that I have a ton of respect for recently. And he, he's, you know, he mentioned something like, hey, when I'm, I have seven years until I hit the age 70. And that's when I, that's, I, he's like, I have seven really, really good years left. And then like, you know, I'm going to transition and whatever. And, you know, that's, 
that's how he thinks. It's amazing, you know. But but I love like he has a seven year window, and who knows what's going to happen seven years from now. Um, but that's for him to he like he doesn't need to work at all. He's independently super wealthy. He just knows that like he's got he's got more time to really hustle. And then he knows that, you know, he might not be as relevant seven years from now in, in the type of business that he's in. That's being self-aware, but there's no, like, he understands the value equation. Right. And my encouragement would just be, like, get really, really clear on that. I don't ever plan to have a moment where I just step away. I, I always plan to be in the game. I just hope that it's, um, but if I'm ever feeling like, man, this is really taking a toll on my you know, my marriage, my mental health, my spiritual health, like I'm, I, I want to have the discipline to walk away. But, but at the end of the day, I always want to be giving. I always want to be leveraging the ability to have an impact. And I think personally business can be the best way to do that when done well. Right, and this, this would actually be a whole other podcast, maybe a whole podcast series. I believe in being in the game, staying in the game. I believe in the infinite yeah, game too. and that concept. The, the question you must ask is, am I in the right game? Because you must choose the game well. Yes. And, and dude, I can't tell. It goes back to the purpose. The darn purpose question, you know? <laughs> it's um, inescapable. It, but I'm telling you, there, there are so many people. You see it every yeah. day. There's so many people that they've never really sought them. Like they've never really asked themselves the hard questions. And as a result, they're making money, but they don't even know who they are. And you're totally right. I, I mean, you know, quoting scripture, what, what profits a man when they gain the whole world and yet lose their soul? I, I really do believe that. It's like, um, be very, very careful what you chase. Man, especially when we're talking about money, especially when you're talking about wealth advisors who are not trained to seek purpose, uh, may have purpose and may, may do things well, but aren't really, I don't think, as an industry um, taught and mentored to customize that and have those conversations. And money's a taboo subject, and I think that it's sometimes hard. You're just trying to get out the door. You're like, can you can you prove to me I'm not going to be broke? At, you know, in, when I'm 70, and if that you can get that box checked, you're out the door. You're you're not sitting around and 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 what is this? What does intentional life look like? Uh, I, I don't think that's the norm. Well, look, man, we covered a ton in, 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 in a longer time than I thought we spent. I'm so grateful for the time we spent. I, I could do this all yeah. day, truly. And <clears throat> pardon me. What did we miss? Anything that you want to make sure we get in here to, to round the conversation out? I, I mean, there, there's, there's so many things. I, I actually have a, a one-pager for your audience. Awesome. And it's, it's called the Better Wealth Framework, and it, and it covers the clarity aspect, it covers the cash flow ratio aspect, and it covers the different questions that you need to ask about your assets and consumption. It also uh, covers every single question that you could optimize as it relates to you know, protection and just your personal life. And so if, you're, if your audience reaches out, I'll give my personal email. Um, I will gladly email that to them because I just, at the end of the day, there's, like, there's the tactical stuff but we talked about the things that really matter. And, and you can't coach, like you can't just like, you can't create a one pager on like how to find your purpose. Like you can ask questions. <laughs> At the end of the day, you really, you really have to seek within. And um, my, my whole thing is know what you want, understand the proper way to measure that, and then invest in the things that you truly care about. And I'm telling you, you are your greatest asset. So make sure that you, that you don't spend your time, money, and you know, other resources chasing something that devalues you 
uh, and ultimately get really, really clear on what's truly fulfilling. And whatever I can do for you, Mark, whatever I can do for your audience, know that I will do it in a heartbeat. I've, I've enjoyed this conversation. Um, I didn't know what to expect coming into the lion's den, you know? <laughs> That's right. Uh, I, I was re- ready for any type of question, but I, I was, I'm, I'm very, very grateful for our friendship. And um, I think this whole money conversation, I just see it as a steward. Yeah. Be a good steward with, the, with your resources and ultimately don't lose the reason why you're in this game to begin with. So true. Well, look, this may be kind of similar to what you just said, but what, what would your passionate plea to entrepreneurs be right now? Live your one life well. We... We do an exercise uh, at our uh, at a wealth workshop where we you write your name, you write your your core mission, like why you exist, and eat, and then we have a box of a hundred boxes, mm-hmm. and you shade in every box that represents a year of your life. And listen, there's going to be people that live greater than a hundred years. The purpose of the exercise is to show you that life is really short. I mean, I'm young for this space, and a fourth of my box is already shaded yeah. and it went fast, dude. <laughs> so the reason I say yeah. that is w- live your one life well is, uh, again, going back to the Warren Buffett analogy, we value our time macroly. We don't want to die, but on a micro level, we're devaluing it every single day. So when you know what you want, don't let anything get in the way um, and don't let your wealth advisor who's stuck in their world of how things need to be done, don't let your, you know, um, you know team members don't let you know don't let other people that might have the right intentions um make you live a certain way based on because they don't know what you really want and so again i know that that it's just live your one life well awesome 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 well look man i'm super grateful i'm sure we'll have future conversations and you know we'll bring the subject back up in the future happy to do this but if somebody wants to 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 find you find more information what's the simplest way for somebody to to keep in touch yeah so our website our website is betterwealth.com. And for your audience, Mark, if they email me, Caleb at betterwealth.com, I will do two things for them. I will email them the framework and I will also email them a one pager tax audit that will literally give you the five fundamental ways to save on your taxes. And, um, and it will be, my, my goal is it should put five to 10,000 plus dollars in every single one of your listeners' pocket. And it just gives you the questions to go through with your CPA. And so those two things, if they email me, just let them know that you heard me on this show and um, we'd gladly do that. Hey Amen. I'll, I'll send you an email. I want that stuff right away myself. <laughs> awesome stuff, man. Thanks so much, Caleb. Uh, I'm just super grateful. So that's our time for the day, plus some. And uh, just awesome stuff. Uh, everything was, was awesome. So if you found this valuable, please share this with somebody who could find value in it because they're not going to get access to the, to the wisdom in it if they don't know about it. Uh, but if you hated it, give us the comments on the feedback too. We want all the feedback you got, good and bad. It's all super valuable to us. Uh, so don't forget to subscribe subscribe, share, and give us that feedback because it's uh, maddeningly maddeningly difficult to get that feedback. And we're so grateful when, when somebody does take the time to do it. But we will see you next time on You're Doing It Wrong with me, Mark Henderson Leary. This is You're Doing It Wrong with Mark Henderson Leary. For more episodes and to subscribe, go to leary.cc.